0: all right psalm 67 to the choir master with stringed instruments a psalm a song may god be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth fear him. This
1: is the Postmill Podcast, Engaging the Culture with God's Justice. Welcome here. It's good to see everybody. This is Pete. This is Scott. Uh, so hopefully we've got that sorted out. Little Pete. Um, we're going to just drop my nickname entirely. We're not going to go with it what, just at all. It's
0: just so odd. Yeah. It yeah. makes
1: no, absolutely no sense. Absolutely. So today what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to be having a conversation with a friend of mine who... Uh, I met a few years ago. We haven't met face to face yet, but uh, but we um, we've met online a number of times. And actually, he currently resides in a part of the world very close to where I grew up, which is interesting. So, um, so his name is Stephen C. Perks, and uh, he's an author. Um, and the one of the uh, critical moments I think in my life and as my um, my theology and my view of the world has changed over the last three, four years. Um, Stephen and uh, his book specifically, The Politics of God and the Politics of Man was a a definitive moment when I read that book and um, it it spoke to me on so many levels. It it cleared up so much for me. And uh, that was really my, my entry point into understanding the kingdom in the true sense, like Christians quite often talk about the kingdom of God in this very spiritual, ethereal, out there kind of sense, and uh, it, it never really touches the ground. It never really impacts the world, the way that mm-hmm. modern Christians really talk about the kingdom of God. And, uh, and of course, if Jesus Christ is the king, well, he, he commands all men, and, uh, and so Stephen's book, The Politics of God and The Politics of Man was really good. Uh, at um, kind of just getting me to that, uh, to that understanding. So without further ado, uh, welcome, Stephen. Thanks for coming on our show today. How are you? Um, I'm well. Uh, I'm well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you give us a brief introduction, all the people listening of who you are and your background. You could talk about your piano tuning if you like. We can decide to yeah. see which way this goes. Uh, How would you come about becoming an author? Uh, and uh, what are you working on, if anything, at the moment? No, no pen clicking. No pen clicking. Sorry, he's,
2: he's sorry. He's clicking his pen. Go ahead, Stephen. <laughs> well, I, I I'm uh, I'm from Yorkshire originally, as you probably tell. Well, Scott will tell from my accent. But I now live down in Somerset, um, very near the Devon border, which is why Scott said he grew up very near where I live. And I've lived down here for quite some years. I started my work life as a piano tuner and repairer, actually, which seems kind of um, uh, strange in a way, because I ended up doing something very different. But that was the first part of my life. I became a Christian when I was 18 and um, the long the, to, to cut the story down, um, I, I moved out of piano tuning into well, it's, it's very difficult. If I said Christian ministry work, of course, I, I think all kinds of work are Christian ministry, but whatever a Christian does, um, it's a Christian ministry, and there are all kinds of Christian ministry, but um, I ended up uh setting up something called the kuiper foundation which is a charitable trust in this country and it seeks to basically make aware through uh publications conferences and now of course uh, everything's sort of gone website based so we have a website um the implications of the christian faith for the whole of life and i ended up doing this because the opportunity To actually address these issues in church is very, very limited. Mm -hmm. Unless you're the pastor of the church or one of the pastor's acolytes, and and therefore what that means is that your your message is on piste, as we say here. In other words, it has to agree with all the jots and tittles of the pastor's theology, no matter how unorthodox that might be. And today, there's a great deal of unorthodox theology being talked about in a preached in the pulpit we'll come on to that with some of the questions um you don't get opportunity you get i mean we talk about people being de-platformed today with the woke culture and cancel culture the church was at this uh decades back Mm. de-platforming anybody who um didn't quite cross the T's and dot all the eyes of the evangelical old boy network in this country, which was poisonous uh, through and through. And um so what do you do when you have a message and you have to proclaim this message? Um and this message is relevant to Christians, you've got to find some other means. And so I ended up um doing literature organizing conferences um, because that was the only way I could get this message out so it wasn't um, I didn't sort of sit down one day and think hmm, what shall I do shall I write a book <laughs> it didn't really work like that it was it was more a question of it this this trust I set up was born out of frustration really that that the message of the church was so narrow so blinkered it didn't address culture um, and and uh, I could could see that this was a problem and it would lead to greater problems. And indeed it has done. uh, We're beginning to see now where this abandonment of of the church's responsibility to be salt and light to the nation, it's abandonment of the Great Commission to actually disciple the nation. We're beginning to see where that has all ended up. So I I set up this trust and um, Over the years, we've published various things. We used to run a journal called Christianity and Society that was published quarterly and it ran for 19 years. But uh, towards the end, uh, the Internet and websites were taking over and it just wasn't, you know, the new thing to do was become website based. Um, And we do have a website, but the truth is that um, (laughs) as a dinosaur, I... uh, I know how to, I know how to get books printed and journals printed and all that but I'm not so good with the website side of things so things are not perhaps as um, going as well in that way as they should but um, uh, it's a different set of skills and my skills all relate, relate to my uh, the time really before the internet became so prevalent but we do uh, we do have a website uh, www kuiper.org. That's k-u-y-p-e-r.org. And um, I still actually do plan to run some conferences. I've got a conference uh, planned on the arts. And unfortunately, this whole COVID thing has given it a good kicking because we had a superb venue booked. And it's now gone out of business because of COVID last year. And we're we're going to have to find a new venue. But the whole thing's been delayed. I think the earliest it will be is 2023 now. Um, So we haven't given up on the conferences. We do have a website. And there are films on the website, short films, I guess what they call podcasts as well, uh, audio messages. And you can get um, PDF downloads of a lot of the literature, most of the journals and all the books. And so what I've been doing is trying to basically um, make people aware of the implications of the Christian faith for all of life and um, how it applies and how we need to move out of just being uh, a group of people that meets for a religious cultus, you know, the worship services and midweek meeting, into a community that actually is living out Uh, manifesting the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. in in the way that it lives Uh, and that's my message but I have to say uh, here the church is very resistant to that everything revolves around the church meeting the elders and sometimes it's like everything's about the leaders in the church Um, and they strike me as often being like leadership cults Mm. uh, rather than communities of christians that are turning the world upside down so that's my message um and that's what i've been doing for since what i've been trying to do since 1987 and um i think we're now facing a situation in this country i suspect this is much wider than britain but i i'll speak for britain where the church is now has become so blinkered in its perspective and it simply doesn't have answers uh, for the problems facing itself or the nation. This last, this coronavirus business, the church has had nothing of any value to say. Now there have been one or two pastors up and down who have. There are always some uh, exceptions to this kind of thing. And there are one or two exceptions, but they're very few and far between. If you look at the main leaders of the church, like the bishops and the denominational leaders and moderators. And even N.T. Wright said uh, that the, the church has
1: uh, no answer for coronavirus. N.T. Wright said that, didn't
2: he? Yeah, yeah. So that's true. I mean, I was astonished when he said that. I, I think if I'd have had some air, I would have torn it out. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I, I just was astonished. What? Christianity's got nothing to say to this. Christianity's got a great deal to say, but that was the attitude. I mean, he only expressed what a lot of other people think, and certainly how the churches behave, which is that the church is basically a private mystery cult, um, and uh, you know that it doesn't it doesn't have anything to say to this public sphere. And of course, the word politics makes many Christians run a mile. They think. Ooh, politics, we haven't got any, and, and the truth is, a lot of the church doesn't have anything to say to politics, but the Christian faith does, and it should be being said. So, um, yeah, we're in a, a bad way here, but I, I don't know that we have had people imprisoned as you have in Canada, uh, but that might be that just less people who prepare to stick their neck above the the other. I have to say, there are one or two people here. I do know of some uh, pastors who have kept their, ch- their churches going, but the, the vast majority have not. But in a way, I think, well, what, so what? You keep your church going, but your church isn't, isn't addressing these issues. Even if the church were to keep going, what is it saying? You say, I think you've got to see God's hand in all this. I'm not saying what's happened isn't wrong. I don't don't believe that the lockdowns are necessary. Um, I'm not denying that COVID exists. I think it does, and I think it's serious for some people. But it is not of the kind of um, plague that the authorities have been making out. And in fact, in March last year, the British government put a notice on its own government um, website saying that COVID-19 is not a high consequence infectious disease. And they explained what they meant by that, by saying that that means it is a low mortality rate overall. Mm. Three days later, they locked the whole country down.
1: Yeah, Mm. and I think this brings into question uh, when it comes to uh, authority, and this is what we're really aiming at today in this discussion is, is the basis of authority. Uh, where where does authority uh, derive from? Um, so, you know, I, I relate to a lot of what you uh, just had to say. Um, now, it seems today that our modern societies uh, slash governments, I guess, as the figurehead of the society is what we see, it, consider themselves they consider themselves neutral or outside the realm of the biblical Christian faith. Um, most churches will say. You know, for example, uh, you know, if the, the government comes along and says, you know, you have to shut your building or you can't do this or you can't do that. Most churches will say "Oh, it's not a gospel issue, so we'll just go along with it. So, you know, my first question would be, um, so it's, there's a common misnomer among Christians today that say it's not about law, it's about grace. So why do modern evangelical Christians today often say that the law of God is not for
2: today? Well, I think that um, there are a number of things to do with this. I think they've been taught badly for a long time. But then you've got to ask yourself, well, why have they been taught badly? It's because those doing the teaching have bought into a different view of the faith. And this idea that that, um, God's law doesn't apply to Christians or it's not for today is really quite a modern one. Throughout the history of the Christian church, it's not been considered an orthodox position. It's been actually one of the definitive features of the heretical movements. So you can always find throughout church history um, heretical sects that would say this kind of thing, Uh, but they would be seen as heretical sects. Now, that doesn't mean that the Orthodox had a perfect understanding of God's law. It certainly doesn't mean they had a perfect practice. And when you uh, read the history of orthodoxy, it can be excruciating, let alone reading the history of heresy. So I'm not saying everything was perfect and there weren't problems. Uh, There were. But the principle was accepted. Today, that's all changed. What we have now is almost the reverse in that people say, well, it's God's. It's not God's law. God's law is not relevant, it's grace. And and this isn't actually only amongst evangelicals, though it's very, very strongly held amongst many evangelicals. I've heard this in the Church of England as well. I heard a a Church of England um, vicar preach that there are no rules in Christianity. And he said those words, quote, there are no rules in Christianity, unquote. Now, of course, what he meant by that, he, there are no rules from the Bible. There are plenty of rules in the Church of England that he would have people abide by. It's just they're not God's rules. So what he's referring to there is, um, you know, God's law. And this is very misleading for people um, because people then, I mean, there was somebody in the church who my wife talked to after this after this sermon. And this lady said, "Oh, no, no, we don't obey God's law. And she said, oh, well so what about adultery and theft and all these sorts of things and she said oh no oh no no we've got to and so what you see is people are confused by the message coming from the from the pulpit and i think it seems to me that what's happened is a lot of the ideas that were considered heretical in the past have become now mainstream And, and they've got there on the back of the dualism or the the dualistic perspective that has always troubled the church, but has always been much worse amongst the heretical sects. So you had the the Gnostics, you had the the Paulicians and the Melissians and the Bogomils and then the Cathars, and these were all uh, very dualistic. They had a a dualistic view of the faith. And um, although the Orthodox, they didn't have that extreme dualist position position it has always been a problem that's troubled the orthodox church as well um it doesn't don't when the you language. say when you say
1: orthodox you you don't mean eastern orthodox of course no, you I mean, mean eastern
2: orthodox. i just yeah okay sorry
1: the, the the same way that we would say that uh, we're part of the catholic church and that we could we could uh believe that confession right that we're part of the the catholic church in universal. the sense of, or the universal yeah. church in what it actually
2: means and also Not the Roman. Roman Catholic Church because the, the, the Roman Catholic Church ironically is quite sectarian but um, yes the Catholic Church in the sense of the universal Church and um, if you if you if you look at things like the first four ecumenical councils and their deliberations and then you know like the confessions at the time of the Reformation I would include all those things what I'm what I'm excluding is the the um, Heretical sects, such as the early Anabaptists, uh, like the group that took over the city of um, Munster and all that kind of thing, they wouldn't fit into that. But you see, it has been claimed that the heretical theology of the Cathars passed on into the radical reformation. I mean, we talked about the reformation, there were really two reformations. There was a magisterial reformation and the radical reformation. And the Magisterial Reformation would be broadly fit within what I'm calling Orthodox Christianity. The Radical Reformation didn't. It was radical. It it was overturning uh, things. And um, what's happened is that it's turned out that the Radical Reformation has won out in Protestantism. All that dualism. uh, And that's why you've got this uh, antinomianism You 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 always got this amongst the heretical sects as well. Um so it's Pietism, isn't it? It's
1: like I'll fly away one day. It's it's almost like a two-kingdom uh way of looking at things. You've got the the kingdom of God, which exists in the spiritual realm, and it has spiritual lords and spiritual rules, and then you have the kingdom of man and on this earth And, and of course that leads into all kinds of eschatological problems and you know Uh, you know or better stated for the the common person uh, where are we going here where does history lead us and what's our mission
2: right yeah and you have a two-story view of the world there's the upper story where all the spiritual things happen then there's the lowest really seen as it being in the upper story, not in the lower story. Right. And that's why people can say things like, well, you know, Christianity doesn't have anything to say with politics, because politics is in the lower story um, uh, part of it, not the upper story. And so a lot of things have come into making this. But the real problem is that it's been taught. It's been taught from the pulpit. It's been taught by the pastors, been taught by the leaders of the churches. And what's happened is, and, and this is a real problem, if you think of the faith as about the whole of life, okay, everything, there is nothing that the, the, the faith isn't relevant to. But if you have a very blinkered view of the faith, and you say, well, it's just this narrow set of things here. Everything, the, whole in, the importance of the faith gets squeezed into a little, a little narrow field. And then everything within that field takes on an exaggerated importance. So in the churches, every little thing that happens takes on an exaggerated importance. That's why you get so many churches splitting over trivial things. Like the colour of the toilet paper. Yeah, well, I'll give you a good example. Have you ever heard of the lifter controversy? No. Well, there was a small, you know, in Scotland, the Presbyterian church split and split and split. You you, you know, there are so many different um, uh, presbyterian um, denominations in Scotland and there was a very small Presbyterian uh, denomination in Scotland that developed a controversy called the lift controversy. And the controversy was when you say the words of institution at the Lord's Supper, do you you lift the chalice (laughs) to say the words of institution or do you keep the chalice on the table? Lift or not lift? Are you a lifter or a non-lifter? I I am not joking. The church split over whether you lift the chalice to say the words of institution. There's a Lord's supper, or you keep. I mean, to my own view is they weren't doing the Lord's supper anyway. But what, what you know, that's not what the Bible's wow. on about. So, about the so, so when it they, they actually split over that, and and you, right. you see. It took on an exaggerated importance. but The real issues that should have been considered is how does faith apply to life. Sorry, Scott. You were right. Here. Yeah. I, I, I think when
1: you uh, you've looked at the history and we've looked at the history of the church and and how it's um, I would say kind of gone in on itself uh, because of this two kingdom pietistic mentality. Right. Like Jesus will be back one day, and we just need to spiritually deal with, you know, everybody within inside the church and maybe save a few souls outside of the church, but it kind of implodes in on itself and it gets off of mission off of the mission of, of God's kingdom, um, that you, you have essentially to reference the, your book, you have the politics of man going on inside the church. And of course, yes. and of course now the, the church has almost been taken out of the equation when it comes to culture making in that essence. So now what we've been left with is the culture off by itself, not being leavened, not being salted by the Christian church and by, by God's word and God's law. And that essentially um, now the government or the secular government has increased in size to the point where it essentially does everything. The Christians were t- too busy fighting among themselves and just not being on mission. But the, the the work of the world has to continue. The world has to continue and it continues
2: without the influence of Christianity. So... Um, but one of the other things is, of course, that if you have this pietistic viewpoint, the church, it, it is one of the avenues by which worldliness comes into the church. Because if you believe the Christian faith doesn't apply to this area and that area, it doesn't mean you don't live. You've still got to go shopping. You still live in a political order, even not voting as a political as a political effect. If you don't have a Christian worldview that says, well, this is a Christian attitude to these things, you will unwittingly imbibe the worldly attitude. And 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 that will come in. So what's happened is the world has come into the church. Because there's this saying, I think it comes from Aristotle, I'm not not 100% sure about that, nature abhors a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Well, if the the influence of the Christian faith has been withdrawn, something's going to take its place. And what's happened is that as the church has withdrawn, and it's been withdrawing for a long time, for maybe 150 years... um, uh, something else comes in to take its place, and that's secular humanism in our societies. My concern about this is that secular humanism itself is not stable enough to provide a foundation for a civilization. So I don't think it will last long. Um,
0: no, just it as in Rome,
2: it, it didn't last long.
0: Yeah. Sorry. It it destroys itself, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah if you does. see with the the whole transgender issue, even that. Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, yeah. you destroy feminism. Even gay marriage yeah. doesn't yeah. make sense anymore yeah. if you have no gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the,
2: yeah,
0: It seems like that, to me, it's always the problem is taking the Word of God or the Bible as your final authority, right? Mm-hmm. The, like the churches seem to have, like you said, let the culture influence them more than the mm-hmm. Word of God. And of course, that goes, goes the other way. Slowly, you, the church becomes worldly. And I think... COVID yeah. has really exposed that, that the church yeah. is almost uh, useless in society. Yeah. They yeah. have no help. They have no, um, uh, like they say, we have no answers for this, which is ridiculous because if, you're, if you have the word of God, you, you have all the answers.
2: Yeah. Yes. And the, the problem is, you see, that, and I've been saying this for years, if we start now to change this, uh, it will be easier Later on, if we don't, if we carry on this way, it's going to get harder and harder to do anything. And, and what's happened is that nothing much has been done. So now we're up against what I think is creeping fascism. Now, I know that sounds rather extreme, but I don't mean by that, I, I'm using that term in, a, in its proper sense, not as a pejorative term, but to describe a political order. And I don't necessarily mean Nazi, because Nazi was one particular form of fascism not you know italian fascism wasn't the same as german fascism and the, the word different i mean italian fascism for example wasn't anti-semitic at all mm-hmm. um well right at the very end it was but that's because a german invaded them and fo- foisted upon them but fascism as mussel um Benito Mussolini said everything for the state everything in the state nothing against the state and they Gave us the term totalitarian, mm-hmm. and uh, so what we've got now is this view of the state as controlling everything, and that's not that's very much against the Christian worldview. Um, and, and so we're facing severe consequences because of that. And the church needs to wake up and start doing something. The question is, what does the church do? And the problem is, I don't think uh, a, a lot of the pastors and teachers don't know what to do They mm-hmm. don't think there is an answer but those that think there might be I, i'm not sure what it is we should do you see
0: yeah that that's what because i started reading your book on that and and it was even in the warrenton declaration that really uh made it understand for me is the um the spheres of authority yeah. that ultimate authority is given to christ and then under that the state has a an area the church and the um the family, of course, and then you even go individual and vocational. And I think if you um, can explain that clearly with scripture, mm-hmm. that makes okay. that makes it clear. And then we know everybody knows where their authority is, how far they can go. You know th- yeah. that, and I think that is for me that was a real eye opener. To
2: yeah, well, you said the sorry, carry on.
0: No, that's all. If you could speak, speak yeah. to that.
2: Yeah, no, the Bible says clearly, Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that means he is, he is the only point in the created order where all authority is concentrated. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that any other authority can only come in a delegated form from Jesus Christ. Anybody who claims that their authority doesn't come from Jesus Christ is denying that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. From a a Christian perspective, when we look at this, we we say, well, there is no authority structure anywhere in the created order that can come from anywhere other than Jesus Christ. So whoever has authority of any kind must get it in a delegated form from Jesus Christ. And that means he must exercise it in accordance with God's will as revealed in his law. Now, that really very clearly defines how authority can be can be used from a Christian perspective. But you see, the world denies that. And it says, no, no, it gets its authority from itself. And any society, uh, the source of its the the authority behind its law locates its God, basically. So the Christian says, our law comes from God. He is our God. Therefore, he is the lawgiver. The secular humanist state—that was for a long time, since since the um, since Constantine the Great until recently—it was acknowledged that all law, oh sorry, as the common law said, the English common law said, any law is or of right ought to be according to the law of God, Mm -hmm. and in every oath that was sworn in medieval times, there was always a saving for God. In other words, you would swear to obey your lord in life and limb in everything save in your duty to god in other words there was always a saving for god nobody um, uh, could swear swear away their duty to god and no prince could legitimately demand that somebody swore away their duty to god god always came first he came before the highest king um, on on earth he came before your liege lord it came from before the king, it came before the emperor, God came first. Now I, I'm not saying that that was always practice, there were plenty of tyrants who wanted to ride roughshod over it, but the principle was understood and, and the state did not claim to be God. Um, but now we have a situation where the state doesn't acknowledge the, the God at all, even in Britain, which is still um, a christian state constitutionally um that has been ignored i mean the queen swore to rule according to the um law and gospel of god and according to the uh, reformed religion established in law but it doesn't really mean anything in practical terms and what we've got today now is a situation where people simply don't acknowledge god they don't acknowledge that law must conform to god now the, the christian doctrine of the rule of law was always not that a prince all a prince needed to do to get his own way was pass a law and then enforce it but that any law he passed had to conform to god's law and and it was said by uh, uh jurists and people in the past uh, any law that did not conform to god's law or to reason any law of man that did not conform to God's law or to reason? And reason was just another way of revealing God's law. Mm-hmm. That it is no law but corruption and error. Politics well, is that's all, yeah. That's all gone now. That's all gone now. We have law. We have governments passing laws without every any reference to the higher law of God. And we see where this goes. We're moving towards a fascist system where the government can pass whatever laws it wants and just rough, ride roughshod. Over over people's rights and duties, and uh, well, I would like rather say over their freedoms, their God-given freedoms Mm -hmm. and their duties. And so we're in a very perilous situation. But the real problem is, and I lay the feet, I lay the problem at the feet of the church. The church has not held the state's feet to the fire, so to speak. It has not said this is wrong. In 1967, when the abortion law was uh, passed the archbishop of canterbury knew that it was wrong and he later said i knew that it was wrong i believed that it was wrong but i didn't believe it was my place to interfere in politics Hmm. well he was sat in the house of lords he was one of the lord's spiritual what's he there for if he's not to interfere in politics that's the old point you sit Hmm. there and he sits there of course as a baron and um, he should have stood up and now we've got over 9 million abortions in this country since 1967. Mm. Um, and it's that kind of attitude that the but church has, uh, shouldn't speak about. There's one thing that the church will always speak about. And this shows the apostasy. The church is always, and the church of England, always ready to promote the latest form of socialism. Right. Yeah. They're always on the side of socialism. And here's the funny thing the only time they ever get involved in politics is to promote the wrong the wrong sort of politics. Yeah. Because socialism, you know, you've got either. With state socialism, there are two places you can go. You can go to communism or fascism. They're both, they're both kinds of socialism, international and national socialism. That, that's the two types. But the church doesn't have a thought out christian worldview anymore and it will defend the most appalling things and and and, you know it will defend the most appalling people as well um there have been lots of scandals um but the salt has lost its saltiness
1: right and i i think this speaks back again to what we were getting at before with sphere sovereignty so when god if god is uh has all authority. Christ has all authority. He sits on his throne and all authority has been given to him and that he delegates his authority to his people, but he doesn't delegate all authority to one person or to one group of people. Um, You know, so within society, we have various other governments that should be recognized as uh, legitimate under Christ so you've got obviously the state or, or the civil magistrate and yeah. then you have the government of the church and at the foundation you have also the the government of family and that yeah. many of the um uh the the social issues that we're trying to deal with today are always dealt with now by the state on taxpayers dollar yeah. Or pound uh, or I was gonna say Bitcoin but it's hard to tax but but they're, they're, they're always looking to do the work that let's say for example the family we were talking about this last night as we were out doing some evangelism the family is God's construct for caring for the weak and the sick within culture so if I have a son who is disabled or a daughter who is out of work or something like that well it, it's my responsibility as the father and our family to come around and provide for that individual so that it doesn't it's not pushed out into the wider society if the person is is an orphan well then the, the church secondarily would step in yeah. maybe but yeah. the state should remain uh, out of the picture when it comes to that because the state uh, it's not the state's mandate. So that's just one example of, uh, you know, socialism is always about, oh, let's be loving and make sure everybody's taken care of and everyone has what they need. Well, yeah, we we believe that as Christians too, but we don't believe that uh, that the, the state should do it. And even less that the secular atheistic state should be the one doing it because they don't have the correct presuppositions behind it to you know, like y- 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 the abortion issue and, and women's rights and all that stuff. I mean, there's such a conflation there. It's like you're not actually taking care of one of the two aspects within, within that, uh, s- that cross-section of society.
2: The idea that we can abdicate our duty to be good neighbours to our neighbour, to the state, isn't loving at all. It's utterly pernicious. Because there's nothing as bad as the anonymous bureaucratic state They can't sort things out. It's hopeless. Um, It's a vast waste of money, but it it doesn't help people, really. Um, uh, It it doesn't doesn't work, but what it does do is take so much of the discretionary income of the family away that they know that people don't have the in. they don't have the money they would have had to, to support charities and help people because it's all being confiscated. Well, no, but a lot of it's been confiscated by the state. So the state taxes us and then it gives money. now I don't know if it does this in Canada, I suspect it does, but certainly in this country, we have a foreign, foreign aid department and the state decides what foreign aid we're going to give to what countries. Now this money's come from, from us and they're saying where it goes. So they give this money and it's it's usually of no use to the real poor at all what tends to happen is that it goes to support those regimes in the world that have already proved their inability to rule properly Mm. so it props up corrupt regimes Mm. and often it just gets siphoned off into the swiss bank accounts of corrupt rulers so government to government aid is virtually useless governments tend to use it with strings attached to prop up their own political deals and so it's it actually doesn't work very well at all and what happens then is all that money that's taken from the taxpayer that's less money that the taxpayer has to give to something he knows works that works on a christian basis or that is morally responsible and and so that in taking over all these things it actually weakens every other institution in life so taxation weakens the family it weakens the church because it, and it weakens Christian charities because there's less money. And I mean, there's still money to give, but there's less money to give. And it's true that um, government to government aid is a disaster. It simply doesn't work well at all. Um, and uh, and yet yeah, that's what we've got. And, but it works within the country as well. If I'm taxed so heavily uh, to pay for the state that I have, but not as much money left, um, to um to give to charities even to my own family then people are forced onto the state for help so it's, it's it's a kind of a a circle that feeds on itself um all the time and we need to move away from that but there seems to be no appetite and the the really troubling thing about this certainly this is the case here it might be different in in america i don't know what in north america in the, the usa i don't know what it's like in canada there seems to be no appetite amongst Christians, on the whole, to move away from that. Socialism, as an ideology, is very strong in the church in this country. In fact, I've I've, I've heard people say that socialism is Christianity in practice. Mm. <laughs> no, it isn't. Socialism, in my opinion, is a, a doctrine from the pit of hell. It yeah. Just, so, it's, it's, it, uh, but but yeah. that's that's the view. I don't. What's it like in Canada?
1: Uh Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Canada is um I would say it's close to the United Kingdom. Uh, now, of course, we are we are close to the states geographically and culturally. You know, I've heard um, Americans say that or uh, sorry, I've heard British people say that Canada is the better USA <laughs> from 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 their terms. Right. That that in the States even though Americans would you know a, a, an american that's in a state that's taxed 10% would say that they are horrified that, that there's a 10% state tax where up here you know we probably when all is said and done we probably lose half of our income to taxation yeah, you know like not just income tax but just all the hidden taxes and don't oh, even yeah. get don't even get into inflation yeah. but But in Canada, we're definitely socializing uh, uh, very, very quickly. And it's becoming a more socialist state, getting closer to what Great Britain is, I would say.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a I mean, there is a way out, but I just wonder whether I don't want things to collapse. But the way they're going, I just wonder whether it will.
1: Well, I I think um, for for me personally, um, I think that the best case study, and you, I think you probably agree, would be uh, how uh, ancient Rome was Christianized over generations. And um, so f- for me, I mean, getting into uh, understanding the problem, um, I-, I think there's only a certain amount of time that you can spend trying to understand the problem that we're in. We all know the problem when we're, we're uh, Christian in name only. We're not, um, we're not a, a, a Christian state in in belief of the individuals or the the culture even though it's written down in our law um that that we're we're quite secular um and that we need to get back to the first principles of of this being God's kingdom and and God's world and that he commands all of us to uh to Repent and believe and now reorder our lives according to God's word and God's law We recognize that and we recognize the problem is is that the the society doesn't So for us as Christians uh, and Christians who understand it I think for me I'm trying to see past the problem and see what the solution was and the Christians in the ancient times Especially as Rome was declining the Christians were um increasing the they were uh transforming culture they had their own courts they had their own uh essentially abortion ministries they had um you know women's rights ministries as it were and all of this different thing within the the, the confines so for me when it when we talk about Christian reconstructionism like how do we reconstruct what's the solution to the problem that that we have um How do we go around, how do we do this end run around the secular state, as it were? Because we've been talking a a lot um, within our uh, conversations and obviously online, a lot of the conversations go around decentralization. And I think that's a really good word um, to decentralize power away from the from the one uh, place that's kind of subsumed all of it. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I was really interested in getting into Bitcoin, because it deplatforms platforms the, the the government's monetary policy that you can actually use money now to pay someone directly. And, it, you know, how do we um, how do we apply this whole idea of decentralization in the Christian church or in the Christian belief into society? And how do we do end runs around the secular state to take, to take back the authority that they shouldn't have? That would be the question that I would have today. How do we do that?
2: Well, I would say we have to effectively do what they did in the early church in the, before, you know, when the pagan Roman emperors were there. And the, um, the Christians were never really persecuted for worshiping Jesus. As part of what you'd call a personal devotional cult, what they were accused of was being imperium in imperio, in other words, um, uh, a a an empire or a state within a state. In other words, they constituted a real social order, and Rome couldn't stand this. Your your social order had to be Rome. It was. Rome was a social order, politics was Rome, Caesar is Lord. Now, when the early Christians said Caesar is Lord, that was a political statement that stuck in the Romans throat. Sorry, when they said Jesus is Lord, that was a political statement that stuck in the Romans throat because Caesar was Lord. Now, the, the Roman emperors, had this, they had this imperial cult and, you know, they were deified. But they didn't really believe they were becoming gods, not only those that were mad. There were a few that were mad who thought it. Vespasian laughed himself silly on his deathbed. Well, maybe not. He, he laughed on his deathbed, he laughed when they said they told him he was going to be, a, a, you know, t- made into a god, because he realized how stupid it was. And even Augustine thought it were comical. Um, but you see, what they did was. This was about law. This was about political power. Um, And so Caesar was effectively in the place for a Christian Jesus Christ should be in. Um, And when they were asked to um, burn incense, which was basically burning incense on an altar before before an image of Caesar, that's all they had to do. Just burn some incense on, on a uh, uh, uh an altar with an image of Caesar there and and then in um, in some of the um uh, not all of them they would get a certificate a libelous saying they'd done that um and uh, it wasn't that they were saying no no you know you can't have your Christian um, your Christian devotional I mean, Two Caesars tried to get Jesus into the Roman pantheon, and there were others as well. Um, they were basically polytheistic in that sense. The problem was that Christians were not conforming politically. Jesus, what you see, the trouble is, when we talk about sovereignty today, we talk about the sovereignty of God. And I think a lot of Christians think it means that God's sovereign the way Queen Elizabeth is a sovereign. In other words, she has all the trappings and none of the power. When we talk about God's sovereignty, it's not like that. He's not a constitutional monarch subject to parliamentary parliamentary approval, you know, by the people. No, no I don't think, I think that's going now anyway. But it's a different kind, you know. So when Jesus is Lord, it means he is Lord. He is Lord of all. And the, Ro- the Romans, for all their, you know, pagans, they understood that. They understood what Je- the, the, ter- the words Jesus is Lord meant modern evangelicals don't They think jesus is lord like uh, like uh, alan sugar's lord he's lord of your heart isn't he he's lord of your heart oh he's lord of your heart But, but what i'm saying is these lords that sit in the house of lords in britain they don't you know they're part of parliament they have some power but that's not what lord means when it's not what Lord means when you say Jesus is Lord. You know, you're in a different ballgame altogether. And that's what, I, you know, I just think Christians don't seem to understand that. But the Romans did. They understood what it meant when Christians said Jesus is Lord. And, and then to say, but I'm a member of the Ecclesia of Jesus Christ. Now, we tend to think of Ecclesia in terms of devotional institution. But the word Ecclesia was always a political term. It's not a term that was used for mystery cults, for example. Um, There were other words for those. Ecclesia was a political term, and the Ecclesia was a meeting of the demos for political purposes. So, for example, in Athens, um, all those officers of state, not chosen by lot, were selected by the demos. The people met in an Ecclesia, an assembly of the people, and they would choose them by sticking out the hand which is the word that paul uses when he talks about uh, electing elders uh, selecting elders um so it was a political term it wasn't a cultic term at all and so I say well jesus is lord and i'm a member of his ecclesias so i say well you know um this is a different political order and the early christians knew that rome was doomed that it, it's pagan um way of going was doomed and that Jesus would triumph. They never, they never went to sort of try and create wars or political, uh, sorry, um, violent revolution or anything like that. They didn't do that and, and, and nor should we. But they did understand that, 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 that um, saying Jesus is Lord means that the political authorities of the day were under him and would have to bow to him and that his law was above theirs. And that's what got them into trouble. Now, yeah. if you took the modern church in Britain today and you stuck it back in pre-Constantine Rome, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be persecuted. There's no point. to per- the, the Romans weren't stupid. They might have been bad, but they weren't stupid. There's no point in persecuting a cult that doesn't challenge your authority. Yeah. So you could go to any cult you wanted. You could go to the cult of Mithras or Isis or Artagatis or whatever you could practice these cults and you know mithras was very popular they had all their well they didn't call them you know like little buildings like we have our chapels and things they didn't you know they 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 were under control the problem was the christians they weren't under control they weren't politically um, submissive in the way that the romans wanted them to be and 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 that's why they were that's why they were persecuted and and their crime was imperium in imperial a state within a state or a community within a community so what we have to do is the same. we have to start being imperium in imperial a new social order within the existing social it's subversion actually what we have to do is subvert christianity is subversion Uh, it has to be subversion because only jesus is lord every other false pretender um his lordship is false the only thing that makes a ruler legitimate is that he bows the knee to jesus christ and this goes all the way back to augustine of hippo who said that um, justice exists oh let me give you the quote um, he said um no i've got it here just a minute true justice true justice has no existence save in that republic whose founder and ruler is Christ. What that means is that any ruler that doesn't submit to Jesus Christ is uh, is is in um, disorder, is in, dis- in rebellion against God. And he, he had this very interesting um, thing that he said about uh, when Alexander the Great was going east, conquering his enemy, his enemy, you know, conquering all the world. He came upon upon this pirate uh, pirate ship in the sea. And uh, Alexander the Great got this pirate and fished him out of his his little boat. and had him fear before him and said, what do you mean by taking hostile possession of the sea? And the pirate said the same thing that you mean by taking hostile possession of the world. But because I do it with a petty ship, I'm called a, a, a pirate. But you that does it with a great army. You're called emperor. Well, apparently, uh, Alexander the Great was quite taken with this because he recognised the truth of it. There's no difference. As Augustine said, there's no difference between a pirate and a government. One's big, you know, it's got a lot of power. One's puny and it's got less power. But they're basically just thugs and bullies. The only thing that makes the difference is their submission to God in Jesus Christ and obedience to his will. And that's the only thing that makes a government legitimate. It, now, a government may have power, and you may decide you know, to um, go along with that power for the greater goal. Like Jesus said, if they come and say, go a mile, go two. To ask for your cloak, give them your cloak and shirt. What you're doing is, I guess, they're buying time Or, uh, But the, still the purpose is for that regime to end and for Jesus Christ to become Lord so we have strategy things to talk about but or is it tactics i always get the two mixed up but what we have to do is create a new kind of social order that models to the world what true social order should be that's how you disciple anybody if you if you want to if i mean a disciple is basically the same as an apprentice isn't it a, a, an apprentice isn't somebody who just learned something in an academic sort of academic setting at a school he goes out on the job And he learns from the guy who's teaching him how do i do this yeah so that's what a disciple does a disciple learns from he does get the teaching as well but he also he learns from seeing how it works that's how we disciple nations we have to model to the world what true society is because um yeah it's my belief that the kingdom of god you see if you ask christians what the kingdom of god is they're very woolly about what with an answer but I say that the kingdom of God is a counter-revolutionary prophetic social order that has come into this world now and is meant to grow until it displaces and eventually replaces the social orders of men. So that's not what's on the agenda in the church today. Mm-hmm. What's on the agenda is retreat. And we've got to go the opposite way. We've got to get away from that mentality. And start that's why I wanted, I wanted
0: to say it comes back to what we were saying at the beginning that, Societies and governments think they're neutral, they're not under Christ, oh, no, not and the church is just not interested. And we're, it seems that we're living in the same times as the early church, you know, where governments are taking all authority over everything. The only difference now is we don't have a church that is standing up like a biblical Christian worldview. So, in my opinion, like we talk a lot about changing the government and everything. But I think we have to go a step back and say, we have to educate Christians because that's where it has to come from. Like majority of churches and COVID has shown this, the majority of churches have nothing to say. And my question would be, how do we change that? Like, how do we reform the churches that they start doing their duty, that they realize that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. So he's the, Lord of all things, and how do we get the churches involved again, like the early church, to to
2: change society? Well, I think I see that. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I've come to the conclusion that we won't. Mm-hmm. I don't think the church. I, I Jesus said, He gave this talk about wineskins, and He said, mm-hmm. um, "You can, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins." it'll just be wasted if you do and when i look back at the reformation i've come to the conclusion it's wrongly called a a reformation it was a renaissance it was a new birth there is no reformed roman catholic church Mm -hmm. tell me where the reformed roman catholic church is it doesn't exist because the reformers although they wanted they were desperate to reform the roman catholic church they didn't want to start a new church but they couldn't reform it. Not, actually, they started again. They started again with a new church, and I think that we, the Protestantism, now is in a similar kind of position that the Catholics were in before the Reformation. It was, it was, it's, a, it's unreformable. what we have to do is start again. And Jesus said, "New wineskins. You need new wineskins for new wine, because if you pour, if you pour the." new wine into the old wineskins it will be wasted and i am now 65 and what i would say is i wish that i had understood this when Mm. i was thirty, even before that there's no point in wasting your life on these old wineskins and he said even a worse one he said when the lost is the salt has lost its saltiness it's fit only to be what reformed no trodden underfoot by men and that's what's happening with the church so we have to start again with building real christian communities that model to the world um, what true society should be and i think that when that happens two things will happen the first is a lot of people will want to join it Mm -hmm. because our our society today lacks community Mm. we have conformity but not real community And you have all these rules and regulations. We're all supposed to be conformed, but there's no real community. The second thing will happen is that those who don't want to join it will want to persecute it. And the two things will happen together because through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. But we will have the victory. But what we have to remember is you cannot have a victory without a battle. If you want to be victorious, you've got to be prepared to do the battle. You know, running away won't give you a victory. Um, facing the battle. So what we have to do is we have to build. We have to build Christian communities in the face of the world. I don't mean secret, hidden communities. I don't mean the secret church. I mean there may be times, particular times, where people are hiding. I mean, I know they hid in the catacombs and whatnot. But basically, the principle is not that you hide. You don't have a secret chest. You have it in the face of the world. You rub their noses in it, mm. that they see that their, their society just does not work, and that there's only one society that works. Oh, there was only one way to save Rome, and and that was what that was what um, Constantine understood. You know, there's a lot of discussion about whether he was a believer. He didn't get baptized to his dying day, though. That was. Uh, did him sometimes, um, and there's a lot of discussion amongst academics as to whether he was, but and we can't say. Um, I think there's a lot of negative bias against him by people today, um, but he did understand. He did understand that without Christianity, Rome had had it, basically, and I, that's I, what the that's what the world needs to see now. Like, okay, but it needs to see it in an example.
1: Yeah, I, I think that. That what and I remember a conversation that I had with you uh, maybe a year ago, which was really influential in in causing me to. So essentially what you said was, is you're 65. I wish I knew this when I was 30. Right. Is that it's it's to not um, continue in the old wineskin. God is God is moving forwards in this world. God's kingdom is progressing. The zeal of the Lord will do this. He. He we're we're pioneering into something new that we've never um a place that we've never been before we've got to do things that we've never done before as a church and as as god's kingdom progresses forward and that that can't happen with the old way of thinking and you were essentially speaking to yourself and and um encouraging me to maybe start to think outside the box and i think i was already thinking outside the box already but for for me it was like okay the modern evangelical institutional church is out of the picture they're not really interested in cultural change not really interested in the kingdom of god in the way that jesus presents the kingdom of god so it's time for you to step out and this this is at the the same time as we started doing an evangelism ministry and then that led into a Uh, into a quote unquote church plant I don't even know what to call it but as we go out to preach the gospel to homeless and drug addicted people on the streets this is our primary mission field that we've identified so that we're going out there and we're also now bringing the, the the God's law and 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 the gospel to uh to that place right like we, we have a church service on Sunday afternoons that we were having inside the soup kitchen, but very few people would come. So now we just, we just go outside and we just, we just, Hey, welcome to church. I guess you guys are already here. Uh, and then we just, we just worship God together and we preach the word together and we sing together in the wider community uh, outside so that people that are cut off from God because of their sin, can see what God's kingdom is like and see the, the, the transformation that can come, the, the slavery that, that they have through drug addiction and homelessness and all of that stuff and all the injustice in society, that that door can be opened uh, through faith in Christ and and then being remade in order to be able to conform to God god's law and and enter into the true society which is god's kingdom the kingdom of the lord kingdom of the son um i i think yes i i wanted to say thank you for for that it was very helpful for me and i'm um but pete did you want to ask a question
0: um, no i think while well, we're We've been going for quite a while now.
1: We we were going to talk a little bit about uh, some specific stuff, like for example, the Warrenton Declaration. Maybe yeah. we'll leave that for another episode. I think we, we should do this again, dig yeah. into it a little bit deeper. Um, but but uh, like for example, the Warrenton Declaration was a is a declaration from uh, the Christian Church against the authority of the government in order to force people to shut their businesses and wear masks and get vaccinated and all of these different things. Right. Which which, of course, from our discussion, it becomes very obvious that the government actually has no authority to institute any of this stuff. And I don't necessarily think we need to really dig deep into it today, but we should probably uh, do it in the future. Yeah. Um, But. but is there anything else, uh, Stephen, that you would like to say as as we wrap up? Because we've been going for a little while here for over an hour. So,
2: well, I guess you know I've said I wish I could have gone. I wish somebody. I wish I I'd realised this a lot. I mean, it's been a it's been a journey, and I've slowly come to realise. But I, I do know that there are a lot of effort I've done in the past, which if if I'd have I the thinking I had now if it, but it's a maturing process I mean that this is a problem. Um, I wouldn't have done that, but um, so I would the one thing that I would say is this: Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now righteousness isn't piety. Mm. The, 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 the biblical word righteousness is much nearer our word justice. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's rightness with God, true, but it's not piety. Um, and um, it's not being pious. It, so we have to seek the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, I will build my church. He told us to seek the kingdom of God. He didn't say, You are Peter, uh, and on this rock, you will build my church. Yeah. He said, You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. You seek the kingdom of God. You seek the righteousness the justice of god you seek to disciple nations and he didn't say the bible does not say go and make disciples of all nations it says go and disciple all nations in other words make all nations my disciples Mm. and the church Mm. is built by jesus christ as a consequence of that mission the apostolic mission is the discipling of the nations it is not church planting it's discipling nations. Church planting is a consequence of that. And we can leave that to Jesus Christ because he will always do what he says he's going to do. And if he says, I will build my church, why are we trying to take his job off him and asking him to do our job? Our job is to disciple nations to seek the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a social order. And so what I, the thing that the big burden of what I want to say to people is, we have to build realistic, real-world societies, communities. I don't mean communes. I don't mean you have to live in a commune. Um, I don't believe that at all. But real communities, real societies that that manifest, incarnate the kingdoms, the, ki- the principles of the kingdom um, in the face of the world so that the world will say, as it, as it says in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, I think it is, uh, that all the nations will come and say, "Teach us the way of the Lord." And yeah. Beat their their swords into plowshares. So that's what I'd like to, to say. To- yeah, absolutely.
1: Right. I think um, the the message that like that we're all trying to get out there right now to to Christians who would hear it, and to even maybe even Christian churches or denominations or groups that would hear it, is that our mission is to seek. God's justice or righteousness. Seek his justice in society. Look at something in the particular town, city, area, village that you live in. Where is there injustice? Because God's kingdom is all about justice in that. God's law is for all men everywhere, regardless of what they believe. Obviously the bad side of it, like the judgment that comes through disobeying the law, but also the benefit of the law. You know, like, yep. the, you, you know, like each and every person has the right under God's kingdom to not have their stuff stolen. Every single person, regardless of their belief, has the right to not be murdered. And all of these things, that's for all people. Right. And And our job as Christians is to identify the biggest problems and go after them with God's kingdom, with God's law, with the justice of God, preaching Christ, Jesus Christ is the one who has made restitution for us so that we can be transformed and then go out and make restitution uh, in the face of society and help those that have been uh, essentially screwed over or um, and and also obviously yeah. pre- preach that they're sinners and that they need salvation and, and uh, that they need to enter into a new social order, which is God's kingdom. Do you want to finish with... Isaiah 2 do you want to say something yeah. before
0: that? No, I just want to say like it, it can come from individual Christians showing true biblical leadership. You know, servant leadership that you go out and do stuff. You know, like preach the gospel, take care of people and and people will follow that. Right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um I can read Isaiah 2 to end this from yeah. uh, verse 1 to 5 and then uh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to read Lordly. So um Isaiah 2, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Hmm. So... This
1: this is mm-hmm. the progression of history. This is where we end up is all nations flowing to Christ. All peoples coming to him, to his mountain, the the, the seat of his throne, where his law is given. And uh, this is the progression of history. And As Christians, we always have to remember that. And all things um, yeah. is that needs to be transformed and brought under God's kingdom. Yeah. So my last question for you, uh, Stephen, uh, and you can answer very briefly. Is knowing all of this, did you buy any bitcoin yet? <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, look, this is we're back to where we started me and modern <laughs> technology, me and computers. The truth is, I'm reading a book about it and I'm completely muddled. I don't understand it. I, all right, fair enough. I haven't invested a great deal, a deal of time in understanding it, but the truth is, when it first came out, I was not convinced, really. I, however, I am, I am not really sufficiently knowledgeable about the whole blockchain thing is it? it is blockchain, isn't it? And how it works to be able to uh, judge on this, it, my reading of I have studied economics in the past, but it was before this ever came along. And My inclination was that um, this didn't have a, a solid foundation, but we didn't have all this computer stuff then I don't know I can't I don't feel competent to um, say about bitcoin however a neighbor of mine has given me a book to read and uh, I do intend to talk to him some more about it but I do find um, aspects of it somewhat difficult and I am just not I mean I'm computer literate in the sense I can use my computer I can do basic things but I as a lot of this, I just don't understand. So, I'm 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 holding out to I'm reserving my judgment, I'm afraid. All right,
1: so so I need to I need to talk to your son about it then. So, you know, I'll I'll chat with him and say, All right, you're gonna buy buy your dad some Bitcoin. Um, uh, but anyway, I always have to ask that question. So, no, no, that's
2: fair enough. I I, (laughs) I have I have read and a neighbor of mine has tried to explain it to me. And, he's, and I understand some things and I'm reading this book, but um, and I know there are a number of people very, very keen on it. And I wouldn't. Um, I, I simply I'm, I'm not competent. I don't know enough about the technology to know to be able to say, well, this is a bubble and it's going to it's going to get popped or No, there's something to this. I, I just don't feel. Um, uh, able to do that i certainly but i wouldn't put all my money in it if, if even i haven't put any money in it but i, I wouldn't I, but it is a problem there's no doubt that the way the government debases the currency it's a form of theft really yeah. and uh, you know we have real problem you've got to f- find something to put your money in um because the the value of the money is reducing and all the this we have got some horrendous inflation coming down the
1: road. It's gonna be bad next couple of years, I think. I think um probably the best book on on it, just chilling books out there, would be uh the the Bitcoin standard by Sefodine Amos. So if anyone wants to understand not necessarily just Bitcoin, but money in general, that's probably the best entry point into that going down the rabbit hole of what that is but for me it's it's all about god's justice when it comes to uh property rights when it comes to uh, essentially so yeah. um but we're all about god's justice here um what's the end result of this progression
0: revelation eleven fifteen. yeah um yeah. i can read that a minute yeah read it then the seventh uh angel blew his trumpet and there was loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Yeah. So that's ultimately where it will end, and we should be Amen. pushing for that. So I think uh, we'll we'll
1: end there. Um, I just want to thank you, okay. Stephen, for taking the time nice to Thank come you on. very much
2: for having me. Yeah, it'd yeah. be
1: nice to do it again. Yeah, it would if be, we could do it again. We'll, we'll do it again sometime and uh, and talk about some other some other things but uh but yeah i just uh want to thank you so much for coming on and uh and yeah just been really thankful for our friendship so thank you likewise
2: and thank you i've enjoyed being on the do you call this a podcast yeah the post mill podcast my wife tells me you don't have visuals on a podcast and i say well the world's moved on and i think we do now
0: (laughs) yeah there's visual (laughs) thank
2: you it's been very enjoyable
0: yeah, we hope to do this again soon. It'd be All right.
1: great. All right. This has been the Post Mill Podcast with Scott and Pete and Stephen. Right on. Peace. Thanks for watching.